Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sales Ops Demystified. And today we're joined by Sandeep, who, according to LinkedIn, is going to be the second most experienced sales ops ninja we've ever had on this podcast, if my calculations are correct. Uh, number one was uh, Jeff Serlin, who is head of global sales operations for Intercom. But um, Sandeep, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Excited to be here. <laughs> so we have, I think it's approximately 10 years at a company called NetApp in sales ops, now currently head of global sales operations at Unity Technology. Was that correct? Yes, that is correct. And also for the audience, uh, I am transitioning at the moment. So I've accepted the role as VP of sales operations for a company that recently went public. So uh, when you come back two weeks from now, you're going to see that. Oh, fantastic. And so it's a big one. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a continuation. I think it, sure. it's an amazing journey. Trying to learn as we do the same thing again, but it's very exciting. So, but you can't tell us who that company is in two weeks. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll have Sandy back back on the show in like three months after you start your role. Anyway, um, let's kick off. How did you get into sales operations? Tell us about your journey. Yeah. So uh, it was a bit of an accident. So my career started as a software engineer and uh, I joined NetApp back in 2001 where I got the opportunity to do some product management, project management and do operations for the And that's where the big aha moment happened because you're going to college, nobody talks about sales operations, right? And here's this amazing intersection where you're not only solving technology problems, but you're also working on people problems, which is very, very interesting to me. And so for that reason, I fell in love with ops. And then fast forward about five years into sales ops, uh, I'm sorry, support ops and marketing ops, my boss at the time uh, moved into the sales organization and I followed him through. Nice where uh, the, the journey began. Now, one thing I want to add is the transition from software engineering to operations was not an easy one. Yeah. That is, uh, 
because typically the mindset uh, coming from a uh, software engineering background is that you are a because 99% means your code is not going to run. And the same thing that meant success in that role is now working against you because you have so many things that you need to get done. And when you are not necessarily adopting the fail fast philosophy and you know, it you, essentially you get the feedback that hey, you're not moving fast enough, and your initial instinct is you don't appreciate quality. So for me, it took a number of years to really understand on how to dial down, get away from and actually that 60, 70 percent essentially, you know, get this possible idea. And once that happened, I think I saw a pretty uh, big difference in terms of. Mm-hmm. Overall, <laughs> there's a couple of really interesting things there. I like the point you made about, um, I just can't remember it now, but I literally had it in my mind. Um, but I totally agree on the perfection side. Like you can't, I, well, I, I have a marketing background and if we try to be perfectionist with anything that we try and do, it's just not going to work. Um, that's super interesting though. And there's another question later that we'll get into kind of the relevance of sales before going into sales operations, but we've never had anyone who's, within coding before so or development before sales operations. So that's super interesting. Um, kind of along the same lines, what, what do you think makes an awesome sales operations person? Yeah. So in, in my experience, uh, I think the number one reason why sales ops teams fail is because there's so much that gets thrown at you and sort of get consumed in the noise, not knowing which one the So I think sales operations person has got to have these two attributes in any given. The first one is the ability to bring people together to build a payment on what are those payments. I think it's important to not just spell out on what you're going to do, but also be very clear about what you're not going to do and hold everybody accountable. Right? Uh, the, the, the quote unquote, the not necessarily agreed upon those kind of things. So that's the point. And then the second thing, which is, I think, equally important, is taking these ideas that you agreed upon and then get them across the finish line. That's the, the execution part of it. And it's, it sounds easier than it is because raw execution takes a lot of focus. It's creating a culture of respecting deadlines, making sure who's got to delivering by when, and then you've got to so any good person is going to have a good strategic mindset and also their laser focus on getting things done. And you often want to switch between these mindsets on any given day back and forth and that's something because it's part of confidence in anyone. Yeah. Cause they're, they're very different like states of mind. Right. To be strategic, you're almost like sitting back, thinking, and to get stuff done, you have to be like, exactly as you're saying, like laser focus. So did you, when you, with your background in development, when you came into sales operations, were you stronger at one of those ways of thinking? Absolutely. I was obviously stronger in execution because 
what software engineering brings is a lot of structure in your mind that you are able to break down a problem into small pieces, set up the chronology. So that piece comes to you more naturally. The piece that's harder to acquire is, uh, uh, I, I've already mentioned, walking away from the action side. Uh, that's one. But the second one is just the mind. I mean, that is the single most important function because this operation is the gateway between these organizations bringing people together. It's not about sitting in front of a room of 15 people and say, hey, these are five things you're going to do. You've got to build that alignment with everyone on board. I think that is uh, a skill that you typically uh, pick up over time and uh, that that's nice. The next question. Do you think that sales experience is necessary in sales operations? I don't. Hey, really? Uh, in my career, I've seen a lot of uh, very successful sales professionals who came from a diversity of companies. Uh, I, for one, you know, don't have formal sales experience, but I would say one thing that for a person who has the right sales experience, it absolutely turbocharges your performance because you understand the mindset of the customer. And when you know in the life is, what their pain points are, you're just going to develop better uh, the, the other thing I want to discuss is Skillsoft is also specific in terms of the skills that I mean, you've got the, the process and automation, which is very, very systematic. You've got the data inside. You, you're looking at data science and trying to come up with slightly different. Then you have the sales enablement piece, which is also very, very Depending on what role you're performing in that organization, also sort of, you know, has an impact on it. So I think if you're in the sales enablement, there's no way you can succeed, you know, if you <clears> have not at least held a quota number at some point. Other uh, roles, I think uh, you could uh, get away with. Sure thing. Do, do you have people in your team then in sales enablement that do have a background in sales? I do. Cool. I do. Uh, I have a rock star person, uh, or I should say, had at UT who uh, was initially uh, an, an awesome sales rep and he decided he wanted to have. Uh, you know, just do something different and, and essentially scale these and so we join the sales ops team and one of the most effective members. Makes sense. Um, what is your current, well, I guess, what was your current stack, te- sales ops tech stack at Unity? Yeah. Uh, so tech stack, uh, first of all, my philosophy is that I, I, I'm not a person who likes to come straight. I think automation just simply amplifies the health problem. And so I think good and simple process first and then automate second. So that said, I don't think from a tech stack standpoint, I'm going to be adding much more uh, in contrast to the other you know, who talk about the, it's the basic stuff around, you know, CRM so uh, you need a billing system, hopefully that is not homegrown, a lot of companies have tended to do that 
you know, but it might be something uh, off the shelf. And then there are so many other third-party technologies that, that can augment your tech stack around. So Clary, <clears throat> excuse me, one of my favorite tools about uh, forecasting. What I love about Clary is the experience is happening outside of your PRM. Right, it's sitting in the inbox, emails back and forth between the rep and the customers. It's the meetings, and if you're going to pull the gun to the head to the rep to say, "Gotta put all that in CRM," number one, they're going to hate you. Number two, not going to do it. And and if either bit, it's going to get garbage. So, so why not technology that can bring all of these on what the quality of you know that interaction. So. I think, uh, but that's one that I really enjoy. How do you spell that? Sorry, Clary, C-L-A-R-I. C-L-A-R-I. And so that's taking information from mailboxes and yeah. putting that and using that to forecast more accurately. That's right. So I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say you have an account where a rep has had eight emails going back and forth in a span of the last six weeks in a particular state. Now contrast that to another account, which is, let's say in the same customer segment, you had two touches, it's been in that state for a longer time. Sorry, Sandy, we kind of just lost you audibly then. We'll, how, how is your connection now? Uh, I, I think the connection is okay. I think, it, c can you like, either bring your laptop closer or speak louder? <laughs> it just sounds like you're a bit far away from the mic. Okay, okay. how's that? Yeah, that's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So, uh, Clary essentially just validates that when the deal is in a certain stage, then what is the reasoning behind it? And is there enough activity that is happening mm. So it could give like a red flag on a deal that's, yeah, nice. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, awesome. How do you, um, how do you deal with, we just kind of touched upon this and reps not necessarily wanting to update the theorem that how do you deal with data quality? And is there someone in your team who's, uh, who owns a CRM or is that someone in a different team? So, uh, Data quality is the number one challenge in my experience. Mm. Almost every company is, and much less that company is uh, an early stage startup all the way to public. The, the challenges don't go away. As you build the tech stack and you and you build the business profits, so does the business complexity. You know, so, so you've got to catching up. Now, uh, I I would use the swimming pool analogy. So mm. you have dirty water that's coming in, and you've got dirty water. So obviously, the first thing to do is you've got to fix the source. And by fixing the source, you've got to understand uh, where the challenges are in the Simplicity is very in getting adoption uh, in in the field. Uh, I also don't believe in the I think good process happens way. You just gotta go find those right organization and then let them do the talk. 
because the last thing you want to do is someone from the corporate who designed an amazing process sitting in a conference room talking about sales is talking about how you should do it. Audience and then focus on where is the value for that rep if they were to explain and not that corporate guy getting that metric on that right? So You've got to speak that language. And so I think uh, simplicity and completeness in the business process, and of course, automation is is a key to then cleaning the data in terms of the source. And then once you've done that, you've also got to clean the dirty water in the pool, which is then going back to your historic data in the CRM system. And you've got to get people in. You've got to go through everything one by one. And these are painful things that organizations uh, have to invest in because uh, when, when you need metrics in isolation, metrics are not going to make any sense, right? You need the, them over a period of time. And so, uh, I really like the dirty swimming pool analogy. That's something that we haven't heard before. Um, one thing I want to touch on there, if you're saying go out into the organization and find people who who have influence over the sales reps to tell them to, to do it. Was that right? Did I catch that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm referring to those people who are in the sales organization who are very progressive with technology. So I think a good way to go about this is you identify those reps. These reps are not just top performers. They're looked upon the others in terms of doing the right thing. And, and they love to try new stuff. Mm. And so you put them early on in your design process. You iterate through your process. And if they love it, then you put them in front of the others to speak that language. That's, that's like a real ninja move, isn't it? <laughs> so I write that down. Put the best sale, well, not the best. It's, it's the most respected and progressive, progressive, respected people. That's so interesting. And because when you do that, you're getting feedback early on the process. But then also when it comes to rolling out, you have these advocates. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. And then I, I think also business process is uh, it's an evolution. You, you never get right. So so I think presenting as an end state and this is it and you've got to live with it is just the wrong mind. Mm. So I think you always want to present uh, a tool or a process as here is a starting point and then you have to continuously get that feedback from the rep, from the first line manager, from all the way up in the stack and, and keep working. I totally agree. If you go to ebster.com right now, you'll see a new website that we launched this week. And that, that was my exact point to the rest of the business. Like, it's not like perfect, but it, and it's a process. But everyone's like, oh, <laughs> and I shouldn't say it. But I, I totally understand. I think that's a really, really valid point. Um, what is the biggest challenge in your role and how do you overcome it? So I think uh, for me, the biggest challenge is mostly around building alignment. I mean, it is, it's challenging, uh, so very time consuming, and it frankly requires uh, a, a multitude of things in order for you to, to be able to accomplish 
that because um, in my experience, the, the best way to build alignment is to start in a position of having trust with your stakeholders. If you don't have that trust, then it's very difficult for people to open up to you to be able to really, you know, have a very objective conversation on, you know, what are priorities. Because typically, the, this agreement is not that this is not a good problem to solve, but, but people have a different problem that is more important to them. And so I think to bring everyone away from the trees and take them to the forest level and talk about the global scale of that's where the company had and think about what's going to move the needle for all of us together. I think uh, that is one strategy. And most of the time, people want to do the right thing. Mm. So having these objective conversations, start with your problem definition and then figure out what are the KPIs you're going to use to measure the success of that problem. So you sort of work your way upwards into what are the solution options, right? And if you've ever done sales, you know you've got to start from some point and keep understanding where those objections are, and uh, you know sort of working your way through. So I think to me, having uh, alignment in terms of the big one to two things that you're going to focus on as a team, and you're going to spend a good. 60-70% of your capacity as a sales ops and an IT organization behind those and those priorities don't necessarily change as you go around. Then you also have the 30-40% where things go in and out because you can anticipate everything that is coming your way. And I think that's a mix that typically works well. And then finally, uh, I would say that uh, you've got to hold your stakeholders accountable. If if you agree that problems uh, and why are more important, uh, then you've got to be comfortable in saying so. So I think uh, that, that's really where uh, bringing people together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bringing people together, managing the other people. Um, if do you have a single metric that you could, that you would judge all of your sales team by? And before that, actually, how many for Unity Technologies? How many people were in the sales team, and then how many people did you have in your sales operations team? I don't. I don't know of a single metric that can ever measure uh, the performance of any sales rep in any organization. But if you had to choose one, now here is the the way I think about uh, metrics. So. I look at metrics in two broad categories, leak indicators and lagging indicators. Majority of what we talk about around, you know, your quota attainment, your win rates, your average deal size, your product adoption, these are all lagging indicators. I prefer leading indicators, especially in a healthy organization where you've, you've done all the work up front Leading indicators will get you in front of the problem before the problems happen. So to me, those leading indicators are uh, typically the three that I really like are. So one is, of course, the activities, right? So how many touches are happening between the rep and their customers to validate the, the probability of a close and, and essentially where that opportunity is, right? And we talked about that earlier. 
that clarity is, is one tool that helps you do that. So I think that's one. Uh, a second uh, one, I would say, is headline size. I mean, that's going to tell you, if you tell me what my close rate is and what my pipeline size is, I could tell you if it's going to or not, right? And so uh, that is obviously very, very important. That helps you stay ahead of the game. And then finally, I would say how your customers are using your product. So the, the, the product adoption metrics are absolutely gold in terms of not just customer success, but going beyond that. That's where you're going to be able to upsell and grow that existing account. And we all know that's much easier than selling into a new account. And many organizations that you know are struggling with essentially getting that those kind of things, right? So because the product data is so separated from your CRM data, and so that product analytics never make it in an actionable way to a rep where they can see that, okay, this is how my customer is really using it versus this is how the best practices or this is how majority of the customers are, are using it. And then I can go back to them and say, here are some best practices. And, you know, so, so I think uh, that's the category that I focus on and those are the three that I'm interested And what are just, so if basically leading indicators over lagging indicators, what, what are examples of lagging indicators that you think are not so useful, like revenue? Yes. Well, I, I mean, if you think about uh, rep quota attainment, so how many reps made the quota, you can look at average deal size, you can look at your win rates, uh, you know, what your product adoption rates are. So you, you have uh, 10 products, then which ones are you, you selling more of which ones on? So, so those are some examples. Cool. That's all I've But we prefer the leading because it gives you more opportunity to change the result. Before the problem. Before the problem has happened. Very nice. Okay, fantastic. Um, and is there anyone who has taught you what you know about sales operations? So it's uh, it's been a journey, and uh, I have learned so much from such a big group of people. I, I've learned from my team. I've learned from my manager, my stakeholders, everybody, and it's, I've been very fortunate uh, to be in this position. Uh, if I had to pick one person uh, to call out, that would be uh, a person named Chris DeBilder. He's my teacher at NetApp, and uh, he is not only one of the most uh, talented sales ops leaders that I've ever met, but he's very humble and and super inspired. So Chris DeBilder, by the way, is uh, head of sales operations at Atlassian. And uh, I'll give you an example. I'll give you uh, some insight into his uh, communication and alignment building skills are just so inspiring. There was a time when I was working on a project back in NetApp and, you know, where you do the kickoff and a couple of minutes describing the problem. So I did that and I went, I think the problem was maybe three or four minutes and I thought that I did a really good job. And later in the day, there was uh, another session that I was a part of, and I heard him do the same thing. And he literally spoke for like maybe 30 seconds, a fraction of the talking that he did. And it just came out so amazing 
that I thought that I, I want to be. <laughs> like Chris. Um, like Chris. So Chris, Chris DeBilder. 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 Yeah, you can, you can look him up. Oh, we will. Um, yeah, so uh, he's, he's had an uh, uh, amazing uh, impression on mm. me in terms of, uh, you know, taking on uh, this as a career. Sure. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of the questions. Let me pick out a few highlights. Um, the first thing I really liked was about how sales operations have to get good at saying no because you're going to be overwhelmed with so much stuff and you have to prioritize. Um, and then obviously the two mindsets of strategy versus getting things done, which a few other people have brought up, actually. You have to really have these two almost different personalities to thrive. Um, but then possibly the best thing is if you're trying to roll out a new process, e.g. getting people to put a new piece of data in the CRM, get those progressive and good salespeople in, in first as the early adopters if it works, you will, you get the feedback. And if it works, then you roll out with them as your advocates that are going to influence the other people to, to do that thing. That's like that's like some real sales ops ninja stuff there, Sandeep. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, congrats with the new role. And hopefully we'll catch up in a few months where we can learn more about what you've been doing at this new public company. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. No worries. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.